Welcome to the Pursuit Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. We believe in being real about what the Bible says, simple in how we convey it, and intentional in how we pursue Him. Okay, so we are going to be going from uh, the book of Se- 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. In case you have your Bible, we'll kind of pull it up here. Um, and in case you take notes, I'm not that good of a note taker. These are actually some things that I took notes on. Um, and so in case I get, you want to take notes, uh, I kind of titled this, How to Ruin Your Life, or How to Destroy Your Life. Just by a show of hands, let me see if you want to ruin your life, or if you want to destroy it, or make the worst decisions you could ever make. Okay, that's nobody. Um, this is King David. Um, he's a man after God's own heart. In case you don't know King David, he's a man after God's own heart. He's like the Hall of Fame um, in the Bible. I mean, King David was it. He killed Goliath. He was a shepherd. He killed bears and lions with his bare hands. I mean, this was a man after God's own heart, and it talks so highly of him, but he destroyed his life. So if a man after God's own heart who worked up to become King David ruined his life, any of us can ruin our lives. So I'm here to kind of tell you how King David ruined his life so that you don't, because my family is the most important thing in my life, second to God. Um, But it's so important to realize that we aren't indestructible and that Satan is real and that you don't want to give him that power, but to realize that it is a real fight and it is a real battle. And so we're going to look at King David. Let me pull up the verse itself. We got 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. It says, In the spring, and you'll you'll notice, I love steps. I broke it all into steps. So we're going to kind of see the steps of how King David fell. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So... David is the king. Kings in this time would go out to war and fight. What did King David do? The, st- the very first step to his destruction was he isolated himself. If you want to destroy your life, if you want to ruin your life, isolate yourself. Be alone. Don't find community. Um, and it's not just community. It's a very common phrase. It's show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You've got to find good, solid community. And there's so many times that you want to be alone. There's so many times that I've had a long day. I want to be alone. I don't want anyone. Um, I know as college students, you've had a long day of school. You've had a long day of this and that. You just want to isolate yourself. And it's in those moments where you're tired and exhausted where you shouldn't isolate yourself. I know in the times where I've made some of the worst decisions in my life, I was alone. I didn't have someone to talk to. I wasn't, you know, the devil will eat you up if you isolate yourself. And that's what King David did. He was supposed to be at war. He isolated himself. Um, What is often the hard choice is the right choice. And sometimes it's hard to find community. It can be awkward. It can be this. And when the more I've grown, I, I mean, I'm only 22 years old. I'm the same age as so many of you guys. But just through so many life things, I realize sometimes the easy way out is the wrong way out. And you got to sometimes take the hard way because that's the right way. So we're going to keep on reading. What did he do after he just kind of stayed back as his soldiers are fighting? Late one afternoon... After his midday rest, right? So it's late in the afternoon. King David just took a midday rest. He's just chilling. David got out of his bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. So what does it sound like 
King David is doing. You know, he stayed home. He's just chilling. He's the king. He just woke up from his midday rest in the afternoon. He got out of bed and he's just walking around on the roof of his palace. He's bored, you know? So many times we sin or we fall into this pit of sin because we're bored. You know, and I think that's, that was, it's easy to do in Troy. It's easy to do in California. No matter where you're at, no matter how old, anywhere you're at, there's going to be places of boredom in your life where you think sin is fun, you know? Um, so, and so much of that falls back to step one. Find accountability. Find a group of people that you can have fun with. Don't ignore your boredom. If you ignore your boredom, you'll self-implode. Number three, we're going to keep on reading. Um, as, he looked out over, as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. So... He walked in pride. That's step number three. He was the king. He saw a beautiful woman. He was bored. He had nothing to do. He didn't have accountability. He was walking in pride, and he felt that he was the king, and he saw someone beautiful. And how I relate to that is so many times we feel like we've had a long, hard day. So many times we feel like we've done so many, even good things for God, that maybe you deserve a little sin, or maybe you deserve a little something, you know, something other than God, and anything other than God is not going to satisfy you. So he thought he was deserving. He was walking in pride. He was the king. He was a big man. He sent someone after someone else's wife, brought him, brought her to him, and they slept together, right? So this is the beginning of his destruction. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, I love this, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. That's all. That's all it says. That's really, it just says, I'm pregnant. Um, <laughs> I think that's just like, man, that is just like, you know, the Bible in and of itself. You know, I mean, you go back to Genesis and you read how, you know, Adam and Eve fell. And it's just like, you know, you, you sin and you know what's wrong. King David is like a man after God's own heart. He doesn't, he doesn't think he's going to get away with this. I mean, like, this man has seen God be faithful. He is the most righteous man up till this day. He has time and time again seen God's faithfulness, but he still falls. Um, and it's through these three things that we see him do just in five verses. He isolates himself, ignores his boredom, and walks in pride, and ultimately he gets his strongest warrior's wife pregnant while he's off at battle. The story goes on. He tried, in case you don't know the story, I'm not going to read it because it's really long and I'm a terrible reader, but... He brings home Bathsheba's husband from war. He tries to get Bathsheba's husband drunk so that he can sleep with her so that then they think it's their child together. But he's such a faithful soldier that he comes home. He even gets drunk, but he's so faithful that he's not going to go sleep with his wife because his soldiers are on the battlefield fighting. He's not going to go and sleep with his wife while his soldiers are sleeping alone and tense and in the cold. And... King David's life is just in this pit of destruction where eventually he puts Uriah on the front line of battle. He says, okay, the only way to fix my problem is to do the worst thing I've ever done. The only way to fix this bad thing is to do something worse. And he has Uriah killed. He puts him on the front line 
of the war, he sends this to his messenger. He says, put Uriah on the front line of the battlefield, and right whenever the archers pull their bows back, have everyone else come back. And Uriah is shot and killed. Um, going along those lines of how you get to destruction, I, I live in California, where, and it's kind of across the U.S., but the divorce rate where I live in Orange County is 60% of marriages ended in divorce. Um, and I've been to many weddings, and I'm only 22. I got married two years ago. And I've been to so many weddings, as I'm sure you guys have. You've been to, you know, you've been a part of it to some extent. And it, it's so awesome going to a wedding. I love weddings. You know what I mean? It's a party. These people are so in love. All their families are amazing food. But whenever you're there, you see how the heck do two people, I know I have the same feeling with me and my wife, how the heck do two people who are so in love go from so in love, you know, I mean, the most in love you can ever be, to years on the road, divorce, hating each other, cheating, you know, malice. And so many of you guys, I'm sure, come from broken families where you've seen that firsthand. Um, how does that happen, you know? Um, and I think it's a slow transition. You know, there's a lot of things that you can say, but I broke it down into four steps that just kind of can lead to, as you can tell, I love steps, but it can lead to an addictive, destructive behavior that you need to take at step one and just obliterate. Um, how do you get from there to there? And I think it starts with, I want it. It starts with, I want something. Um, oftentimes, we want things that are just terrible for us. I'm going to read from Romans 7, 15. Um, I don't think they're going to pull it up. They may, but I'm just going to read from it. This is Paul. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. We have an inward behavior. Don't think that you're broken. Don't think that you're so much different than anybody else. This is King David. I mean, you look at any Bible story, Adam and Eve, God's perfect creations, you know? I mean, the firstborn, right? We're hardwired to do what is wrong. But if we look at um, 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, Take captive every thought to make it obedient to grace. Whenever you want something that's not of God, you need to take captive of it. You know, we know, we know what's wrong. We're smart. You need to take captive of it before it turns in to what I want is. After you go from I want and you don't take captive, it turns into I deserve. And that's what King David did. You think I want, it can be so many different things. Sin is anything but God. I want, I deserve. Because once you feel that you deserve something, that's such a slippery slope. It's so easy to relate this to a marriage and God compares marriage to himself and the church. I was relating it to Orange County where the divorce rate is 60%. And that is no different in the church. The church is the exact same as outside the church. But if you want a little better of a marriage, you maybe start thinking that you deserve a better marriage. You know, you 
act a different way, this and that. You deserve it. You don't deserve to be treated how you're being treated. After you feel that you deserve something, you go on to, I will. I will have it. And that is where you implode. You want something, you start, you start pondering that thought, you think, how do I deserve it? And you act out on it. And I'm sure most of you guys aren't married, but it can be anything in your life. You don't have to be married to want something, to feel you're deserving of something, and to act out on it. And after you've done those three things, you need it. I think it can become very addictive. We think, how does somebody who has never drank, never smoked a cigarette, years down the road, become a drug addict? You know? And it starts small, and you want to try something. And I'm not going to stand in front of you and say, vaping's wrong, or this and that. But you want something, you feel you deserve it, and you do it, and then you're addicted to it. John 10.10 says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And once you get in this pattern, once you fall into the enemy's trap, the enemy only wants, this is the only purpose, is to steal, kill, and destroy. Whenever you know that the enemy is tempting you, there's nothing good that's going to come out of it. It goes on to say, my purpose, God's purpose, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So it's not just there's this bad, evil life. There is a way out. There's always a way out that will satisfy you. It may not in the moment seem so enticing, but it will satisfy your soul. Your soul is starving. Sometimes I'm um, cooking dinner for the girls or something. Not too often. We usually do Postmates or something like that. But sometimes I'll turn the uh, stove on and I start cooking something and almost 100% of the time the fire alarm goes off. Almost every time. Like I'm not catching things on fire, but it's just smoking. And you don't realize that little by little the smoke builds up, the alarm goes off, and we're opening doors, and baby's crying, and all this stuff. So usually what I've learned to do is there's a fan that you can turn on above the oven that I didn't even really know about. My wife told me. <laughs> there's a fan that you can turn on, and it's the most, there's like three modes. I just put it on three because one doesn't really do anything, but it's so loud and obnoxious. It's this very loud, very annoying sound. Um, and whenever I first turn it on, I hate it. And I hate the noise. I'm like, ah, I don't want to be doing this. But after I'm cooking for 15 or so minutes, I don't even hear the noise anymore. Like, I'm just cooking. I don't even hear the noise. Um, and then Savannah and the girls will come downstairs, and they'll be like telling me to turn the noise off. It's so annoying. And I think that that noise so many times is like sin in our life. I think that we allow it in. And at first, it's like, I can't believe I did this. But then it becomes so easy that you have this sin that you're dealing with that goes unnoticed. You don't even realize that that sin is still in your life because you've been doing it for so long. I know whenever I lived here in Troy, I, I, I'm a messy person. My room is bad. And I roomed with John Stephen, and our rooms were just terrible. Clothes everywhere. I mean, I didn't do laundry for like an entire year. And, but <laughs> we didn't have anybody come over, so I'm sure a lot of your rooms are like this where there's just laundry piles everywhere, and your bed's always a mess, and it's just... Terrible, and yeah, it's kind of sickening at first, but eventually you get used to it. And you don't even really realize how messy your room is until someone, you know, comes into your room and you're like, dear God, this is bad. And, and they like tell you how terrible it is. Again, that's just another example of how our lives can be with sin 
that we become so used to the mess that we're living in that we just allow it. Ephesians 1, 18 says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called. That's the same verse that in other translations it says, I pray that you open up the eyes of my heart. And that is my prayer for every single person in here today. I've been praying it over the past week that the eyes of your heart will be open because I think there's so many people who are living in sin and just kind of letting things go that they know they shouldn't let go. And it's holding you back from your full potential. And I know I've had seasons in my life and it's, an, it's always a struggle. It's not a one-time thing. I have so many people that come up to me and they're like, you know, how can you live a godly life? How can you be, you know, a good Christian person, a good faithful husband, a good dad, a good friend, a hard worker? And it's not just you give your life to Christ and it's like, there we go. We're good. It's an everyday thing of praying, God, open up the eyes to my heart. Because the enemy is always attacking. He's always laying siege on your soul because if he can distract you, that's his goal. If he can distract you from God and from satisfaction and from happiness, his goal is complete. Even if you're a Christian, if he can distract you with even maybe what seems like good things, a good job that pays a lot of money, but you're not invested in God and, and his purpose for you, that money and position and career can turn into a bad thing. So I have to constantly pray to God that he opens up the eyes of my heart because it's so easy to get distracted. And in those seasons, it's almost like a time warp where you go through days and days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months. And before you know it, I mean, I talk with people who are in their 40s and 50s and they look back and they can't believe what has happened is they're like, I feel like it was just yesterday that I started doing this. And now my life is 30 years later. My kids are gone. My wife's gone. I don't have a family. I'm addicted. I can't, I can't, I need help. But there's hope. And that's what the beautiful thing with Jesus is, is that no matter if you're 20, 22, 25, 40, 50, 60, you know, whatever age you're at, there's hope in Jesus. And I think there's so many people in here who feel that maybe they have already ruined their life, which is such a funny thing because, you know, whenever we're young, we're so short-sighted and we don't see that far. And it can be a breakup or somebody from the fraternity treated you like crap and blah, blah. I, I know how things are. I, I went here and um, it's so easy to get so short-sighted and you're so young and think, oh, my life's ruined. All my friends are getting married. I don't even know anybody. And, um, but, but there's hope. Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is just like one of my all-time favorite verses. Um, and that's why I wanted to really wrap it up with this. This is Jesus talking. He says, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. For a long time, I thought that yoke was like the egg yolk. Like the longest time, I thought that's what it was. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you have already heard pastors kind of explain it, where, you know, it's, it's what you'd put over your head, and you would tote, you know, like an ox or something would like tote the yoke, and Jesus is telling us that he is going to carry our our burdens and um, it just says come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest and um, 
I think there's so many people who need rest for your soul. There's such a big difference between rest, sleeping, you know, rest. I think sometimes you think rest is maybe going out and partying and and freeing yourself. But rest for your soul is coming to Jesus. And it's really putting your hope and your trust. He says, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So I pray that each one of your eyes to your hearts are opened and you just realize the potential that God is calling you to. Just like Chase was saying, because it's awesome about what they were talking about where I planned this message and had no idea, you know, the spiel that they were going to give beforehand. But there's so many of you who have such potential and God is placing such big things in your lives, but you need to open up the eyes of your heart and realize what is out there, what you're capable of, and allow God in. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. Help us spread the word by rating and sharing this podcast.